0: book two canto eleven of the fairy queen by edmund spencer this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by thomas copeland canto eleven the enemies of temperance besiege her dwelling place prince arthur them repels and foul meleagher doth deface what war so cruel or what siege so sore as that which strong affections do apply against the fort of reason evermore bring the soul into captivity. Their force is fiercer through infirmity of the frail flesh, relenting to their rage, and exercise most bitter tyranny upon the parts brought into her bondage. No wretchedness is like to sinful Velenage, but in a body which doth freely yield his parts to reason's rule obedient, and letteth her that ought the sceptre wield, all happy peace and goodly government is settled there in sure establishment. There Alma, like a virgin queen most bright, doth flourish in all beauty excellent, and to her guests doth bounteous banquet dight, a tempered goodly well for health and for delight. Early, before the morn, with crimson ray the windows of bright heaven opened had, through which into the world the dawning day might look, that maketh every creature glad, uprose Sir Guyon in bright armor clad, and to his purposed journey him prepared. With him the palmer, eke in habit sad, himself addressed to that adventure hard. So to the river's side they both together fard. Where them awaited ready at the ford the ferryman, as Alma had behight, with his well-rigged boat. They go aboard, and he aft SOONS gan launch his bark forthright. Ere long they rowed were quite out of sight, and fast the land behind them fled away. But let them pass, whiles wind and weather right to serve their turns, here I a while must stay to see a cruel fight done by the prince this day. For also soon as Guyon thence was gone upon his voyage with his trusty guide, that wicked band of villains fresh begone that castle to assail on every side, and lay strong siege about it far and wide, so huge and infinite their numbers were that all the lands they under them did hide, so foul and ugly, that exceeding fear their visages impressed, when they approached near, them in twelve troops their captain did dispart, and round about in fittest steads did place, where each might best offend his proper part, and his contrary object most deface, as every one seemed meetest in that case. Seven of the same against the castle gate, in strong entrenchments, he did closely place, which with incessant force and endless hate they battered day and night, and entrance did await. The other five, five sundry ways, he set against the five great bulwarks of that pile, and unto each a bulwark did a to sail with open force or hidden guile, in hope thereof to win victorious spoil. They all that charge did fervently apply with greedy malice and importuned toil, and planted there their huge artillery with which they daily made most dreadful battery. The first troop was a monstrous rabblement of foul misshapen whites, of which some were headed like owls with becks uncomely bent, others like dogs, others like griffins drear, and some had wings, and some had claws to tear, and every one of them had lintz's eyes, and every one did bow and arrows bear. All those were lawless lusts, corrupt envies, and covetous aspects, all cruel enemies. Those same against the bulwark of the sight did lay strong siege and battleless assault. Nay, once did yield it respite day nor night. But soon as Titan gan his head exalt, and soon again as he his light with halt, their wicked engines they against it bent, that is, each thing by which the eyes may fault. But two, then all, more huge and violent, beauty and money, they that bulwark sorely rent. The second bulwark was the hearing sense, gainst which the second troop designment makes. Deformed creatures in strange difference, some having heads like hearts, some like to snakes, some like wild boars late roused out of the brakes, slanderous reproaches and foul infamies leasings, backbitings, and vainglorious crakes, bad counsels, praises, and false flatteries, all those against that fort did bend their batteries. Likewise that same third fort, that is the smell, of that third troop was cruelly assayed, whose hideous shapes were like to fiends of hell, some like to hounds, some like to apes dismayed, some like to puttocks, all in plumes arrayed, all shaped according their conditions, for by those ugly forms wherein portrayed foolish delights and fond abusions, which do that sense besiege with light illusions. And that fourth band which cruel battery bent against the fourth bulwark, that is the taste, was, as the rest, a greasy rabblement, some mouthed like greedy ostriches, some faced like loathly toads some fashioned in the waste like swine for so deformed is luxury surfeit misdiet and unthrifty waste vain feasts and idle superfluity all those this senses for to sail incessantly but the fifth troop, most horrible of hue, and fierce of force, was dreadful to report, for some like snails, some did like spider's shoe, and some like ugly urchins thick and short. Cruelly they assailed that fifth fort, armed with darts of sensual delight, with stings of carnal lust, and strong effort of feeling pleasures, with which day and night against that same fifth bulwark they continued fight. Thus these twelve troops, with dreadful puissance against that castle, restless siege did lay, and evermore their hideous ordinance upon the bulwarks cruelly did play, that now it gan to threaten near decay, and evermore their wicked capitaine provoked them the breaches to assay, sometimes with threats, sometimes with hope of gain, which by the ransack of that peace they should attain. On the other side, the sieged castle's ward, their steadfast stones did mightily maintain, and many bold repulse and many hard achievement wrought, with peril and with pain, that goodly frame from ruin to sustain. And those two brethren giants did defend the walls so stoutly with their sturdy mane, that never entrance any durst pretend, but they to direful death their groaning ghosts did send. The noble virgin, lady of the place, was much dismayed with that dreadful sight. For never was she in so evil case, till that the prince, seeing her woeful plight, gan her comfort from so sad a fright, offering his service and his dearest life for her defence against that carle to fight which was their chief and author of that strife, she him remercied as the patron of her life. Eftsoons himself in glitter and arms he dight, and his well-proved weapons to him hent. So, taking courteous congee. He behight those gates to be unbarred, and forth he went. Fair moti see, the prowest and most gent that ever brandished bright steel on high. Whom soon as that unruly rabblement with his gay squire issuing did espy, they reared a most outrageous dreadful yelling cry. And therewithal at once at him let fly their fluttering arrows, thick as flakes of snow, and round about him flock impetuously, like a great water-flood that, tumbling low from the high mountains, threats to overflow with sudden fury all the fertile plain, and the sad husbandman's long hope doth throw adown the stream, and all his vows make vain. Nor bounds nor banks his headlong ruin may sustain. Upon his shield their heaped hail he bore, and with his sword dispersed the rascal flocks, which fled asunder, and him fell before, as withered leaves drop from their dryad stalks, when the wroth western wind does reave their locks. And underneath him his courageous steed, the fierce spumador, trod them down like docks, the fierce spumador born of heavenly seed, such as Laomedon of Phoebus' race did breed, which sudden horror and confused cry, when, as their captain heard, in haste he yowed the cause to wheat, and fault to remedy, upon a tiger swift and fierce he rode, that as the wind ran underneath his load, whilst his long legs nigh wrought unto the ground, for large he was of limb and shoulders broad, but of such subtle substance and unsound, that like a ghost he seemed, whose grave-clothes were unbound, and in his hand a bended bow was seen, and many arrows under his right side, all deadly dangerous, all cruel keen, headed with flint, and feathers bloody dyed, such as the Indians in their quivers hide. Those could he well direct, and straight as line, and bid them strike the mark which he had eyed. Ne was there salve, ne was there medicine, that mote cure their wounds, so inly they did tyne. As pale and wan as ashes was his look, his body lean and meager as a rake, and skin all withered like a dryad rook, thereto as cold and dreary as a snake, that seemed to tremble evermore and quake. All in a canvas thin he was bedight, and girded with a belt of twisted brake. Upon his head he wore an helmet light made of a dead man's skull, that seemed a ghastly sight. Malleager was his name, and after him there followed fast at hand two wicked hags, with hoary locks all loose and visage grim, their feet unshod, their bodies wrapped in rags, and both as swift on foot as chased stags. And yet the one her other leg had lame, which with a staff all full of little snags she did support, and impotence her name. But the other was impatience, armed with raging flame. Soon as the carl from far the prince espied, glistering in arms and warlike ornament, his beast he fellly pricked on either side, and his mischievous bow full ready bent, with which at him a cruel shaft he sent. But he was wary, and it warded well upon his shield, that it no further went, but to the ground the idle quarrel fell. Then he another, and another did expel, which, to prevent, the prince his mortal spear soon to him wrought, and fierce at him did ride, to be avenged of that shot while air, But he was not so hardy to abide that bitter stown, but turning quick aside, his light-foot beast fled fast away for fear, whom to pursue, the infant after hide, as fast as his good courser could him bear, but labor lost it was to ween approach him near. For as the winged wind his tiger fled, that view of eye could scarce him overtake, ne scarce his feet on ground were seen to tread. Through hills and dales he speedy way did make, ne hedge, ne ditch, his ready passage break, And in his flight the villain turned his face, As once the Tartar by the Caspian lake, When as the Russian him in flight does chase, Unto his tiger's tail, and shot at him apace. Apace he shot, and yet he fled apace, Still as the greedy knight nigh to him drew, And oftentimes he would relent his pace, That him his foe more fiercely should pursue, who, when his uncouth manner he did view, he gan advise to follow him no more. But keep his standing, and his shafts eschew, until he quite had spent his pearless store, and then assail him fresh, ere he could shift for more. But that lame hag, still as abroad he strew his wicked arrows, gathered them again, and to him brought fresh battle to renew. Which he espying cast her to restrain from yielding succour to that cursed swain, and her attaching thought her hands to tie, but soon as him dismounted on the plain, that other hag did far away espy binding her sister. She to him ran hastily, and catching hold of him as down he leant, him backward overthrew and down him stayed with their rude hands and grisly grapplement, till that the villain coming to their aid upon him fell and load upon him laid. Full little wanted, but he had him slain, And of the battle baleful end had made, Had not his gentle squire beheld his pain, And come unto his rescue, ere his bitter bane. So greatest and most glorious thing on ground May often need the help of weaker hand, So feeble is man's state, and life unsound, That in assurance it may never stand, Till it dissolved be from earthly band. Proof be thou, prince, the prowest man alive, and noblest born of all in Britain-land. Yet thee fierce fortune did so nearly drive, that had not grace thee blessed, thou shouldst not survive. The squire arriving, fiercely in his arms snatched first the one, and then the other jade, his chiefest lets, and authors of his harms, and them perforce withheld with threatened blade, lest that his lord they should behind invade. The whiles the prince, pricked with reproachful shame, as one awaked out of long slumbering shade, reviving thought of glory and of fame, united all his powers to purge himself from blame. Like as a fire, the which in hollow cave hath long been under-kept and down-suppressed, with murmurous disdain doth inly rave and grudge, in so strait prison to be pressed, at last breaks forth with furious unrest, and strives to mount unto his native seat. All that did erst it hinder and molest it now devours with flames and scorching heat, and carries into smoke with rage and horror great. So mightily the Briton prince him roused out of his hold, and broke his caitive bands, and as a bear whom angry curs have towsed, having offshaked them and escaped their hands, becomes more fell, and all that him withstands treads down and overthrows. Now had the carl alighted from his tiger, and his hands discharged of his bow and deadly quarrel, to seize upon his foe flat lying on the marl. Which now him turned to disadvantage dear, for neither can he fly, nor other harm, but trust unto his strength and manhood mere, sith now he is far from his monstrous swarm, and of his weapons did himself disarm. The knight, yet wrathful for his late disgrace, fiercely advanced his valorous right arm, and him so sore smote with his iron mace, that groveling to the ground he fell, and filled his place. Well weened he that field was then his own, and all his labor brought to happy end, when sudden up the villain overthrown out of his swoon arose, fresh to contend, and gan himself to second battle-bend, as hurt he had not been. Thereby there lay an huge great stone, which stood upon one end, and had not been removed many a day. Some landmark seemed to be, or sign of sundry way. The same he snatched, and with exceeding sway threw at his foe, who was right well aware to shun the engine of his meant decay. It booted not to think that throw to bear, but ground he gave, and lightly leapt arrear eft fierce returning, as a falcon fair, that once hath failed of her souse full near, remounts again into the open air, and unto better fortune doth herself prepare. So brave returning, with his brandished blade, he to the carl himself again addressed, and struck at him so sternly, that he made an open passage through his riven breast, that half the steel behind his back did rest, which drawing back, he looked evermore when the heart blood should gush out of his chest, or his dead course should fall upon the floor. But his dead course upon the floor fell nay the more, ne drop of blood appeared shed to be. All were a wound so wide and wondrous that through his carcass one might plainly see. Half in amaze with horror hideous, and half in rage to be deluded thus, again through both the sides, he struck him quite. That made his sprite to groan full piteous, yet na the more forth fled his groaning sprite, but freshly as at first prepared himself to fight. Thereat he smitten was with great affright, and trembling terror did his heart appall. Ne wist he what to think of that same sight, ne what to say, ne what to do at all. He doubted lest it were some magical illusion that did beguile his sense or wandering ghosts that wanted funeral, or airy spirit under false pretense, or hellish fiend raised up through divilish science. His wonder far exceeded reason's reach, that he began to doubt his dazzled sight, and oft of error did himself appeach flesh without blood, a person without sprite, wounds without hurt, a body without might, that could do harm. It could not harm it be, that could not die, yet seemed a mortal wight, that was most strong in most infirmity, like did he never hear, like did he never see. A while he stood in this astonishment, yet would he not for all his great dismay give over to effect his first intent, and that most means of victory assay, or that most issue of his own decay. His own good sword Mordure, that never failed at need till now, he lightly threw away, and his bright shield that naught him now availed, and with his naked hands him forcibly assailed. Twixt his two mighty arms, him up he snatched, and crushed his carcass so against his breast, that the disdainful soul he thence dispatched, and idle breath all utterly expressed. Though, when he felt him dead, adown he cast the lumpish course unto the senseless ground, adown he cast it with so puissant rest, that back again it did aloft rebound, and gave against his mother earth a groanful sound. As when Jove's harness-bearing bird from high stoops at a flying heron with proud disdain, the stone-dead quarry falls so forcibly that it rebounds against the lowly plain, a second fall redoubling back again. Then thought the prince all peril sure was past, and that he victor only did remain. No sooner thought than that the carl as fast gan heap huge strokes on him as ere he down was cast. Nigh his wits end then walks the maze at night, and thought his labor lost and travel vain against this lifeless shadow so to fight. Yet life he saw, and felt his mighty mane, That, whilst he marveled still, did still him pain. For thee he can some other ways advise How to take life from that dead living swain, Whom still he marked freshly to arise from thirth, And from her womb new spirits to reprise. He then remembered well that had been said How thirth his mother was, and first him bore, she eke, so often as his life decayed, did life with usury to him restore, and raised him up much stronger than before, so soon as he unto her womb did fall. Therefore, to ground he would him cast no more, nay him commit to grave terrestrial, but bear him far from hope of succour usual, though up he caught him twixt his puissant hands, and, having screwed out of his carrion course the loathful life, now loosed from sinful bands, upon his shoulders carried him perforce above three furlongs, taking his full course, until he came unto a standing lake. Him thereinto he threw without remorse, stirred till hope of life did him forsake. So end of that Carl's days and his own pains did make. Which when those wicked hags from far did spy, like two mad dogs they ran about the lands, and one of them, with dreadful yelling cry, throwing away her broken chains and bands, and, having quenched her burning firebrands, headlong herself did cast into that lake. But impotence, with her own willful hands, one of Meleager's cursed darts did take, so writhed her trembling heart, and wicked end did make. Thus now alone he conqueror remains, though coming to his squire that kept his steed, thought to have mounted, but his feeble veins him failed thereto, and served not his need, through loss of blood, which from his wounds did bleed, that he began to faint and life decay. But his good squire, him helping up with speed, with steadfast hand upon his horse did stay, and led him to the castle by the beaten way, where many grooms and squires ready were to take him from his steed full tenderly, and eke the fairest Alma met him there with balm and wine and costly spicery to comfort him in his infirmity. Eftsoons she caused him up to be conveyed and of his arms despoil it easily. In sumptuous bed she made him to be laid, and all the while his wounds were dressing by him stayed. End of Book Two, Canto Eleven, Recording by Thomas Copeland.